Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Craig and Bonnie Glover have a passion for serving others. That's a good thing for the residents of Palm Beach County, Florida, who need in-home care. Because just like them, Craig and Bonnie have been there, done that. In fact, they founded their company, A Better Way Home Care, for very personal reasons. But I'll let them explain that. Craig and Bonnie Glover, I am so excited to have you on this show, and I can't wait to hear your story. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. So I want to put this in context for our listeners. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how you got to Florida, and whoever wants to go first, go for it. Well, I'll go first. Okay. I was raised in Brooklyn, New York, Uh and uh, my background is I I have been an attorney with the Department of Veterans Affairs for a number of years but not the traditional attorney. I was always interested in conflict resolution. So I ended up working primarily in the mediation program Mm -hmm. for Florida and Puerto Rico, and then training other employees of the VA to become mediators. So that was very interesting. Yeah. And and you did that here in Florida. So you were were raised in Brooklyn, and you moved to Florida. And then how did you and Craig meet? Why don't you give us a little bit of your background, Craig? So I was raised in Harlem, but Bonnie and I met in college in Tallahassee, Florida, at Florida A&M University in the School of Business. So while we didn't live very far away up there, we had to come down here about 1,100 miles to meet in college. (laughs) We met in college. uh, We were in the same study program. We became friends, and then more than friends, we were dating. And uh, long story short, after graduation, Bonnie was a year behind me. Uh, we decided to uh, get engaged, and then we were married, and we were married in Brooklyn, and we moved to Miami back in 1985. Okay. So we spent most of our adult lives in Florida, and we spent all of our married life, almost all of it in Florida, starting in Miami, but we, of course, met in Tallahassee. We lived in Miami, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Davie, Pembroke Pines, and well, now West Palm Beach. You've we've moved been in West Palm Beach for, yes, yes, and uh, we've been happy with that. We have two sons, two wonderful sons. So one is a junior in college now, and the other one graduated college, and they're both living in Chicago. Okay. So we've been very, very fortunate. Yes. Oh, they're far away, though. That's okay. That's, that's okay. okay by us. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the distance has helped them grow. Yeah, okay, that's cool. And are your parents still living, each of you? No, mine passed away early, and Craig recently, which was, you know, has been a difficult time for us. But yeah, did you say both of your parents uh, passed away recently, Craig? Yes, my mine, my dad about two years ago, uh-huh. and my mom before that about maybe four to five years before my dad. So. Okay. 
we lost them recently, and those experiences and others have led us to the business that we do now and the service that we do now for others. Well, let's talk about that. Bonnie, I know that you had a health scare for the listeners. Tell us about that experience, Bonnie. Yeah, it must have been about uh, 2013 I was ill, and long story short, I went to the hospital. Long story short, um, they found that I had end-stage renal disease, which meant that uh, my kidneys were not functioning correctly. Mm-hmm. And I was put on dialysis, and I was on dialysis for about 17 months. And I applied to a special program through the Miami Transplant Institute and was accepted for a transplant. And Craig and I, we were both tested. At the time, I told Craig, you know, you don't really have to, but he just looked at me and said, yeah, right. <laughs> and we were tested, found out that Craig was a match for me. And we went into the meeting, and I know that Craig had every intention of saying that he was going to donate a kidney to me. But when we went into the meeting with the doctors at the Miami Transplant Institute, uh, we were told that even though Craig was a good match, there was a better match. And they asked Craig if he would be willing to donate a kidney to someone else. And he agreed. And so, long story short, we went through a series of tests. They really test you well uh, in programs like this to make sure that everything is going to go okay. You have to be physically fit. Craig was clear of anything that would hamper the exchange. And on April 9th, uh, 2015, we went in for uh, a transplant. I, uh, there was, it was four donors and four recipients. Craig actually donated to a young lady who just had a six-month-old baby. So because of him, the baby has a mom. Wow. So that was a four-way, so was, uh, four-way paired kidney exchange, as I understand it, and the first of its kind in Florida. That's truly amazing. I think, yeah, I think that folks would be really interested to know how that works. Well, they run you through a program, and I get, they take copious amounts of blood in vials, of course, so uh-huh. it really isn't that scary. And they match people to see who would make the best match. And apparently I matched with a very petite young lady, and her husband needed uh, a transplant, and he matched with someone else. So they brought us all together, us eight, but they tell me that without Craig's say-so, it would not have been done. So you go through extensive testing, but it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt. It's just uh, their way of making sure that there's quality control and that everyone is matched with the very best possible match in their database. And the amount of care that the staff put into making sure that we were all comfortable. And, of course, Craig was treated like a rock star because he saved, he saved someone's life, and right. he didn't have to. So we always encourage people to uh, think about donating and transplantation because there's so many people on waiting lists now. Right. So this was a four-way transplant that involved eight people, Craig donating his kidney to one person and three other folks donating kidneys to four people, one of them being you. Right? One of them being me. So right. it was like a, it was, it was a United Nations kind of exchange <laughs> really? because we had all types of people, and that just proves that this goes to, uh, to prove that really we are one people. So is this unusual, this sort of thing? I know it was the first of its kind in Florida. Is this common for this sort of thing to happen now, these exchanges? Well, I I think that what they're trying to do is bring the spotlight on the number of people on waiting lists. So many people could be helped Mm -hmm. if others would go out and just get tested. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll let Craig speak to the recovery time. Many people are afraid that maybe donating a kidney will hurt them in the long run. So I'll let Craig speak to his recovery process and what he learned from his donor buddy and uh, what he learned from the doctors about the whole process in terms of how it affects the donor. Mm-hmm. And then how your caregiving proceeded. It was a very interesting process. My motivation was pretty, it was actually pretty selfish. I just wanted for Bonnie to live a long, healthy life. And uh, that wasn't happening. Uh, When she started dialysis, she was only 51 years old. And Mm -hmm. that's very young to start dialysis. And our sons are teenagers, and we're watching her go away. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't very pleasant. It was a very scary time for all of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Bonnie did, though, she stayed encouraged. And she was surrounded by some nurses that really encouraged her and they suggested that she look at the transplant program as well as her physician. So that was very important because it gave her hope. Uh, and being in dialysis is, is not a very pleasant experience. It's kind of hopeless, the environment, but she stayed hopeful, mm-hmm. and we encouraged her. So when the transplant opportunity came about, I thought, well, anything for her, as I know she'd do anything for me, so I was happy to participate. I was pleased first that I would be a match for her, and I was still very interested in helping her if it meant helping somebody else that was fine by me. And so one of the neat things about the four by four, the four way paired exchange, it was the first time in the state of Florida and it was three husbands and wives. And I believe it was one mother and son Mm -hmm. and everyone gave an organ to someone other than their loved ones so somebody else can benefit. So while my motivation was for Bonnie to be around for her children and her grandchildren, at least I was blown away that in the end I found out that I could help a mother with a six-month-old to extend her life and be around for her child. So it was, that was great. It was really wonderful, the end result. The process was interesting because it was very, very thorough. So it required some time to uh, go to, we lived in Pembroke Pines at the time, and then we had moved to West Palm Beach. So we still had to get down to Miami for testing, for evaluation, and it was super thorough on the donor end, but that gave me comfort because I knew that if, they were being that thorough with me as far as qualifying me. They were doing the same for whoever would donate to Bonnie. Mm-hmm. So it was great that, that thorough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, so, and then one other thing that was really helpful was they paired me with what they call a donor buddy, a mentor. Because most people that are in dialysis are already, they've been in and out of the hospital. That's not an uncommon experience. We had that experience with Bonnie many times, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I'd only been in the hospital when I was a child. I had my tonsils removed. So it was a lot I didn't understand. And it was the donor buddy who helped me understand the process, the preparation, and post-surgery, what to expect as far as what level of discomfort, how many days after surgery I might be home, what I might feel like, uh, how soon to stay active. And this was reinforcement on top of what the staff taught me. So I felt like I was really well prepared and I knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. And that was wonderful. And even on top of that, this gentleman happens to be a detective in the Keys. And uh, we had this procedure in Miami. I never met him. He just coached me by phone. Mm -hmm. But the day after the surgery, he gave myself and Bonnie a surprise visit just to check on us. He was kind enough to come up from the Keys just to see how we were doing and we could meet for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it was just really very genuine. And we were excited that the procedure went well. But I felt more a part of this transplant community because of my connection to this mentor and the time that he spent afterwards to check on us. I Mm -hmm. thought that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So part of what we do today is we like to be able to share with people that there's a great need out there 
and that we should consider whether it's someone directly or indirectly. For example, I've been an organ donor through my, my driver's license for as long as I've had a license because I felt like if I couldn't use the organ, somebody else could. Hmm. And that was just a decision I made. I didn't realize my family would need one so soon that my wife and my best friend would need one so soon. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll share about that is that we had a friend visit. So I also learned that there's a lot of risk associated with going through dialysis. Not only is someone's, someone in the last stage of renal failure, but the dialysis process is also very challenging and it puts a lot of stresses on the body. So for example, we had a classmate visit us early this year. It might have been January, February of this year. And he was a year behind Bonnie. Bonnie was his mentor in college. Mm -hmm. And he was on a transplant list in Tallahassee, Florida to receive a kidney. So he was maybe 50 years old. He seemed to be in pretty good shape when he visited with us and in pretty good spirits because he could see that he had an opportunity to get an organ. However, a couple of months later, maybe three months later, he died of a massive heart attack. Oh, my gosh. And what I learned is that that's part of the risk that is associated with being in dialysis. Dialysis saves someone's life immediately, but it also comes with risk. So we just encourage people, and the University of Miami, the Transplant Institute's goal is to keep people off dialysis as long as they can to get people into the donation process sooner than later, but it takes donors for that to happen. So Mm -hmm. we encourage more donors. Please look at donorships so we can help more people. There are a lot of people on the list who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that just really deserve a chance and Doctors say, and it's been proven, because people live very long lives with only one kidney. Mm -hmm. And these other folks who were involved in the exchange, were they from other uh, states besides Florida, or were they in Florida? Everyone, I believe, was from Florida. Everyone was from Florida. Everyone was already coming to the Miami Transplant Institute, and everyone, yeah, everyone was from Florida. I'm I'm Uh really positive. But they were coming from different areas in Florida. Mm -hmm. So you had the transplant when, Bonnie? I had the transplant on April 9th of 2015. 2015. Okay. So then you came back to West Palm, and what was your recovery like, Bonnie? My recovery was different than Craig's in that, as Craig mentioned, people who are on dialysis are already feeling pretty bad, Mm -hmm. and actually the transplant makes you feel better, Mm -hmm. and I was able to get up and walk and do my normal with, you know, a few prohibitions. So I really did not have a difficult time. And it was just it was just being tired. It was a major operation. Right. And we were here together, Craig and I were together, kind of leaning on each other. Right. Between well, us, two kidneys. Three kidneys, <laughs> four kidneys. <laughs> I just have three. They don't actually take out the other two kidneys. Oh, they so don't? I okay. have three kidneys. So, and Craig has so you have four between you. <laughs> And we still have four between us. Right, yes. right, right. So, Craig, you were tired, and yet you were kind of called upon to be a caregiver. So how did that work in your house? It was a little bit challenging. And one thing it required, it required a lot of coordination. And my employer at the time had to buy into this. Mm-hmm. So I understand that that's one challenge for people that might consider giving. I was expected to be out for about three months. Mm-hmm. However, I, I could not afford to be out for three months. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was out for maybe two weeks. And then when I did go back to work, I did desk duty. I was in the office versus my normal job, which is sales and marketing. And I traveled a lot. I was on the road a lot. But mm-hmm. I was 
told that I shouldn't drive much, that I shouldn't fly for uh, at least a few weeks, that I should just kind of ease back into it. Mm -hmm. So my employer was kind enough to support me with that. We moved some things around in my schedule so that someone else could do the travel and I could stay more local, and that was great. So that, that was one adjustment. And then we, uh, we knew that we had certain restrictions. Uh, we couldn't lift too much. We just had to be careful. We had to eat well and rest well and kind of listen to our bodies. And I'm pretty active. Uh, before and after the procedure, after I was told I could, I was back in the gym. I was in the gym a lot before, but I was told during that three-month period that I couldn't get back in the gym. I couldn't do the things that I normally would do. But what I could do was a lot of walking. So they encouraged me to make to walk, and I walked afternoons, I walked at lunch, and I walked in the evening. And it was really a good thing because I got in the habit of doing that every day. And now I still do that. If I don't get to the gym or don't swim, I still walk every day because it feels good. And I feel healthier now as a result of that procedure because I feel like I've got to work a little extra hard to protect the kidney I have. So in the end, it worked out well. We supported each other. We had the help of some friends who allowed us to stay in their homes right after surgery down in the Pembroke Pines area, so they kept an eye on us. But when we got to, back to West Palm Beach, we just looked out for each other and we just kind of took it slow so that we didn't put any extra stress on ourselves while we healed up, and that worked out well. And you didn't have any outside help? No, we got to the point where, and, and this is what that experience meant as far as what we do today. We had had some experiences with home health care, which we qualified for, which we could have called in to help us. Mm -hmm. But our previous experiences individually and in support of my father who needed home health care were not very impressive. The level of care was good, but the service was poor. The level of care was good, but the service was poor. Yes. What do you mean by that? For example, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit. We mm -hmm. have two wonderful sons, um, Matthew's 23, Benjamin's 19. And when Benjamin was born 19 years ago, a month premature, we rushed to the hospital. And we uh, thought Benjamin might be at risk, but he was fine. It turns out that Bonnie, after her C-section, was at risk. She had a condition called DIC, where her blood would not clot after surgery. Mm -hmm. And she was in a coma for 11 days. She mm. was given last rites. We had everyone we knew praying for her recovery, and eventually she pulled through, but not until she had been in a really bad place and multiple surgeries to figure out what's, what was going wrong. When she survived that, she was sent home for wound care. And the wound care was fine, but the service was poor in that Bonnie would be tired and ready to go to bed, but the wound care nurses had not shown up yet. Oh. They would say they're okay. minutes away and then it would be an hour or maybe two. And that level of service wasn't good. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of put that on the side because she survived. We were happy to have her, but that experience wasn't impressive. Mm -hmm. Then we had some other experiences with my, uh, with my dad. My mom and my dad continued to live in New York, and my dad was the sick one, we thought. My mom was his caregiver. And we got a phone call from my dad, and he's crying because he's lost his wife of 47 years to a massive heart attack. She, my mom was only 66 years old. Oh, my gosh. So we couldn't see that coming. Uh, we yeah. couldn't see that coming because we were too far away. And we've since learned that being a caregiver is really very hard work. It's, it's very demanding and draining. And it's not uncommon for a caregiver, especially an elderly caregiver, to pass away sooner than they should unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. So my dad moves in with us. So we have two teenage sons and, uh, and we have a full life. And then we bring on my dad. That put some stress on the family, but we helped him through. We all helped each other. Bonnie was pivotal in getting him through that. And then my dad needed home care. My dad had knee replacement surgery. He had a stroke. 
He went from independent living to assisted living. He had another stroke. He went to a nursing home, and then he expired, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. But he, we dealt with many home health agencies. Okay. And again, our, the experience was not impressive. Mm -hmm. So after our procedure last April, we started looking closely at bringing to this space, this industry, the level of service that we would have expected that we didn't receive. And we made that decision last October to start our own home health care agency. Craig, you had worked in the health care industry prior to this. You, I, I know that you worked in, in health care leadership. So this is a field that you were yes. familiar with, even professionally, correct? Yes, I was uh, very fortunate. I worked for about 13 years with a couple of leading pharmaceutical companies, uh, Park Davis and Pfizer Pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. uh, in Florida and in New York. And great companies. They trained me well. I did sales, management, marketing, training, and leadership, and I learned a ton. Then I went back to school. And I earned my master's in healthcare administration and policy at the University of Miami, and I learned more, and I, I love healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that experience in for my master's, I met a group of people in the nursing home industry, and I worked with a nursing home consulting company, a couple of them for about five years. So I've had a lot of experience in and around the healthcare field, and I enjoy that, the business of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And that, it was after that that Bonnie and I, shortly after the transplant, that we decided to put our heads together. Uh, Bonnie's tr was tremendous with people, and she provides a really high level of service. We owned another business, and Bonnie was pivotal as far as uh, helping us create that business, build that business, because she treated our customers like gold, and we felt like bringing that approach to this industry would allow us to be successful. Mm -hmm. What surprised you the most when you started this business? Bonnie, you want to speak to that? Uh, the fact that people were willing to take, just like we did, we accepted what we, what we received. And sometimes people are amenable to whatever is given to them. Right. And the clients that we have have been, to me, so appreciative of the kind of care and skill each of our caretakers give to them. We provide uh, special training. Most agencies, from what I understand, when, when they hire certified nursing assistants or when they hire home health aides, provide maybe an hour or two of training. We provide at least six hours of training before they go into the home. So our folks know what is expected when they go into someone's home. And whenever I check and I call every week, I get glowing, glowing, glowing references and, and uh, people talking about how well trained and how much they love the people that we have sent them. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that really makes me feel good. But I know that a lot of people just accept what they, what they have and, and they don't know. They drive the market. Right. Why would you go to anyone's substandard? Why would you expect that? And it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah, I so, think people are so busy with their lives that they just take what they can get because they're overwhelmed on so many levels. Emotionally, families are really grappling with how to care for their loved ones or not loved ones. You know, if they're far away right. and they don't have great <laughs> relationships, maybe. How big is your staff and what are their areas of expertise? We have three RNs, uh, three licensed practical nurses, and about 15 caregivers, companions, home health aides, and certified nurses' aides. Mm -hmm. And we're still a new agency. We're always looking for good people. So um, their expertise can range from companionship, which sounds really simple, but what we find often is that Many of the people that we serve our clients are very, very lonely. They're yeah. very lonely, and, and we work really hard to find the right fit. 
someone that they're going to be compatible with and someone that's going to encourage them to live that they might look forward to seeing each day when they come in. Mm -hmm. So companionship to maybe light housekeeping, meal preparation, bathing, toileting, doctor's appointments, transportation, that type of work for the companion care, the home health aides, the certified nurses aides, our LPNs and our RNs can do any, any nursing, skilled nursing, uh, medication management, as well as wound care and other services. So we are a full service agency from the non-medical care to medical care. To build on what Bonnie talked about, the level of service that we bring, Bonnie in particular on our staff is what we would have expected. That's probably the thing that sets us apart the most. The other is that we hire for empathy and compassion. And that may seem obvious, but not everyone who's a good caregiver demonstrates empathy and compassion real well. So how we find that is we interview thoroughly, and we get women who tell us things like, primarily women, some men, that tell us that they've been spat at, thrown at, and called really bad names. Mm. But 10 minutes later, their client forgets that they did that. And these are caregivers that can walk through that and still give service and care. So we look for people like that, and then when Bonnie follows up every week, we can confirm that we have and we've trained people well at what we want them to deliver. So uh, we work really hard at that. And and the other thing I would add that we feel like separates us is that we have a very diverse county, Palm Beach County, and that's a great thing. However, it's been documented in healthcare. I learned when I went for my master's, and our experience has been that if you're on the boundaries, if you're an ethnic minority or disabled or even a woman in healthcare, that you don't get the same level of care as the majority population. It's just a sad fact, unfortunately. Mm. So it requires advocacy. We've been advocates for each other. We were advocates for my parents. And we hire people that are open-minded, mm. and then we train them. We train them so that going into an office, doctor's office or a hospital is one experience, but going into someone's home is a whole different level of intimacy. Mm -hmm. So we work really hard to make sure that we train our staff so that we are able to connect with the population that we serve. So, for example, we're very proud to be the only home health agency in Palm Beach County that is certified by a national organization to serve the LGBT elder population Mm -hmm. because we have friends and family in that population who still don't tell their medical professionals who they are because they're concerned about being treated differently. Mm -hmm. And our desire is that we train our staff so well that they understand someone's journey and when they go in their home, they know how to connect with that person so that it can be the highest level of care, respect, and dignity possible. Mm -hmm. Have you had a staff member or potential staff member say, well, no, I can't work with somebody like that and and what do you do um have you come across that actually no okay never have because i think the reason being is that most of the people that we interview have been in the have been in this business for a while so Mm -hmm. they have worked with a lot of people they might not know as much uh about different cultures or different types of people for instance, before they get to our SAGE training. But they work with people. And then I've, I've just never had that happen. Mm-hmm. But what we have had happen uh, was when they get to the SAGE training and learn about uh, LGBT elders, lights go off. Oh, just so much understanding and compassion and empathy. We do choose right, and they're all willing to go through the training. So that to me, that means that 
we're human beings, and if you put another human being in a position where they have a learning opportunity, then there really aren't any barriers. Mm -hmm. They learn, and they want to do well with each other. Right. And what do you do to find and retain quality staff? There's so much turnover in this industry. I know it's a big challenge. Sure. It's it's very challenging. I kind of liken it to when when our children were younger, we never had enough babysitters. And in this industry, we're always looking for really great caregivers, those that have a heart for helping others, a high level of empathy and compassion. So we find people, often through people, through our excellent caregivers, we ask them, who do you know who's like you, who Mm -hmm. can do work at a high level and can deliver it with a high level of respect and dignity? So we ask our caregivers, we ask our friends, uh, we ask uh, some of the medical professionals that we work with to please recommend we're always screening people. We do post on Indeed, and we, we work through the career source, the state's unemployment service. So we work really hard at getting people. We screen thoroughly. We do a thorough background check. All of our employees are licensed, bonded, and insured, and then we follow up. And the other thing that we encourage our people to do, and I'll just share a real quick story. It's not an easy thing to take care of a family at the rate of pay that a home health aide or a certified nurse's aide makes in Florida. We understand that. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we encourage our staff to say, look, you don't have to stop there. There are programs in this this community that will encourage you. In fact, there's a program through CareerSource, the state unemployment service, that if someone qualifies, will pay for their education all the way up to registered nurse and some other benefits. And we encourage our people to connect with them. Now, the uh, career source, which is the state's Mm -hmm. unemployment service. Mm -hmm. So we connect our staff with that because we say, look, we want you to grow. We'd love for you to grow so that you can get paid at the rate of a licensed practical nurse and Mm -hmm. then ultimately a registered nurse. Mm -hmm. We know it's the right thing to do. And part of that is also personal. Because I grew up in public housing in New York, and I had the gift of two parents that loved me. That was the first gift. My parents were laborers. They came from the South out of segregation. My dad from Alabama, my mom from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. When they got to New York, they had a high school degree, but they didn't have a real skill set. My mom started out at the lowest level of nursing and worked her way up Mm -hmm. to the point that when I was in middle school studying algebra and crying over my algebra, because it didn't come (laughs) easy, my mom was studying to become an RN. Mm-hmm. And when she became an RN with my dad's support, shortly after that, we could afford to leave public housing. So that was an accomplishment. Yeah. And then my mom was a great RN. She was always learning. So not only did she change the trajectory of our family economically, but she also modeled that you never stop learning. And Bonnie is that type of person. She's given that to our children. And she's got a similar story as far as her parents and their background. Mm -hmm. So because our parents gave us that, we could give that to our children. And our children are high achievers, partly because of what our parents did for us. Mm -hmm. And we want that for the people that we work with. If they love it, do it. But if they want to change their lives, we want to encourage them to change their lives because that's helped us to get to the place where we are today. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to say, I just add one more thing. One Please. of the things, too, that we tell our staff is that our patients are our patients, but that our staff is our client, too. Mm-hmm. That we count on them, and as long as they're happy, they help our patients to be happy. So mm-hmm. we count on them. They're our front line. Mm-hmm. And I think when you instill that kind of thinking in someone, it really goes a long way. Right. I think a lot of family members also who hire outside caregivers kind of have a hard time remembering that caregivers themselves also have families. 
and that folks who yes. come into their home to care for them are often caring for their own family members at home as well. And I always marvel at the caregivers who are good caregivers, how good they are given what circumstances they've got in their own lives. How do you balance that? I mean, because obviously folks have stuff going on in their lives, and then they have to kind of pull it all together when they go into someone else's home and bring their A-game. Well, we've asked them to make sure that they know that they can always call me directly if they Mm -hmm. need to. We do have a director of nursing. We do have an assistant director, uh, alternate director of nursing, but everyone has my cell phone. Mm -hmm. So if something's going on that we need to know, something's going on that might affect their ability to do their job, they call me and we'll make arrangements and maybe another caretaker will step in for the day. But we have to care for the people in our organization, too. They're very important. The caretakers are the most important people we have. So Mm -hmm. they can always call. Mm -hmm. Sure, and I'd like to add to that that one of the things that I look back at my career when I was in industry and the the best managers I had, I had some very good ones. The exceptional ones, did they simply said thank you and that I appreciate your work, and they encouraged me to move forward. So Bonnie is, is an expert at that. When, we, when she makes that phone call to make sure that every client's happy every week, she then calls the staff to say, look, we heard great things, keep it up. And she would tell you that she's gotten hugs and thank yous because we've got people who've been doing this job for a long period of time, but they're not used to getting that type of feedback. So sometimes it's something that simple. My favorite boss ever, Mike Logan at uh, Park Davis Pharmaceuticals, would simply say thank you every time we work together. And that meant the world to me. And mm-hmm. he, was, he had the biggest influence as far as helping me build a career. But it started with thank you and I appreciate your work. Mm-hmm. I think, Bonnie, your role is so critical, not that yours isn't, Craig, but obviously your role, in my experience with agencies, I can't even remember anyone ever calling me once a week and saying, how's your caregiver doing? I think that is very unusual. Well, you know what? I, lo- I love doing it. I, you know, before the hurricane, we made sure to call. Is everything okay? Are you going to, do you have some place to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, uh, do, you, do you need us to make some calls for you? So it just really is rewarding. Mm-hmm. Can you, one of you describe your clientele and who you serve? Um, can you give me, maybe give us an example of a client that you serve? I would say it's a wide range. Uh, as, you were, as Bonnie was answering that last question, so one thing that we teach is what we call observational power. Our director of nursing started us on this path, and that simply means that when we go into a home, we've trained our staff to make sure that they observe the whole environment on every visit to see if there's any gaps in services. So on one end of our client base, we've had clients that we've served that had no food at all in the home, none. Mm. And we could come in and do our job, but then what, how does that help the client if when we leave they have no food? But Bonnie is very resourceful, and she's connected with groups in this community that provide food. So, Bonnie, you might speak to how you all help people when they have that a situation like that. We had a client that was discharged from the hospital, and he did not have any food in the home. Luckily, I knew this gentleman who heads an organization called Feeding the Hungry, mm-hmm. Omar Portocorero. And we gave him a call, and he arranged for us to pick up, it looked like, about two weeks' worth of food to drop off at this gentleman's home. So we went and picked it up and took it because we feel that's part of our job, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So that would be one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end, we've got people that are pretty well to do. They're well off. They live in great communities. But that doesn't make them immune from the stresses of being a caregiver and having someone at home who's having difficulty. So what we've learned for, let's say, a couple where, like my mom and my dad, where there's a couple, they might be in their retirement years, they should be enjoying the best years of their life, but they're struggling because they've got the home and they've got the resources, they've got all the stuff, but they don't have health. And when we meet with that couple, the healthy spouse is concerned about the unhealthy one, and the unhealthy spouse is concerned about making the healthy one unhealthy. Mm-hmm. They just want to help and love each other. Mm-hmm. And all they need is an extra set of hands. And after we do a thorough evaluation, our RN evaluates the environment and talks with both the clients. We come up with the best match we can. We follow up to make sure it's a good fit. And then we continue working with the caregiver, though, because we understand, having lost my mom, we understand that it's still very, a very risky proposition because the caregiver is only beginning to breathe. Mm-hmm. In your presentation materials, Craig, uh, it says that 10 to 20 percent of Americans who require home health care services use an outside agency. That seems like a really low number of people who are using an outside agency, especially given the fact that there are over 40 million family caregivers in the United States. What do you make of that? One of the things that we've learned is most people who haven't had to use home health really don't know much about it. And there are many people that are in the midst of it, and they don't know what they don't know. They just struggle. Like my mom didn't know, and my mom was well-educated, but we couldn't help her figure that piece out. We didn't see what was going on. So uh, when I talk to people, we do a lot of education as a result. We work with community groups. We work with houses of worship. We look to educate people, 55 and older communities, before they get to the point that it's a crisis. And I ask that question. I ask, why do you think it is that so few? And these are the things I've learned in our observations. One is that sometimes people just aren't aware that this service exists. They're just not very familiar with it. When I say home health to a lot of people, they're not sure what that means unless they've used it. (laughs) So some aren't familiar that there's someone that can help. For others, it might be cost because on average, a service might be $20 an hour. And Mm -hmm. for some people, that's significant money in addition to their other bills. So it might be cost for some. And then the other thing that we've observed and learned is that sometimes it's cultural because in certain cultures, it's not uncommon to have multiple generations either living in the same home or just taking care of each other. And that can be Asian culture, that can be Hispanic culture, that can be Greek culture. So bringing in an outsider is just not common. And that's okay. We do it for all the right reasons, but we also educate about how it can become a burden before you know it. Yeah. If, if Most people also work or have children, they have other responsibilities, and maybe a distance away, and we lose caregivers. So we educate the community that it's wonderful to take care of your own, but please take care of yourself too. And if it means that you need a few hours, a day, or a weekend, just know that we're here. And when a loved one progresses and needs more help, just know that we're here. And we, in fact, give away a free service. We call it our Family Learning Center. It's a free online resource that is a series of learning modules to help a family caregiver understand what they're up against. Because mm-hmm. with knowledge, there's power. So what to expect when someone's in early, early stages of dementia, what to do. How to make the home safer. How to prevent infections. And a whole huge section for the caregiver so the caregiver understands the importance of taking care of themselves. Because if they don't take care of themselves, there's no one left to take care of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. How has the industry changed since you started working in healthcare? And what are some of the biggest challenges that you face now with what you're doing? 
historically, I've not been involved in healthcare as long as Craig has. I think he can speak to that a little bit better than I can. Okay. Okay. A, a couple of uh, observations that come to mind immediately. Uh, one is, so we have been working with a consultant to get through this process. And the consultant has been very helpful, so we understand what it means to become a home health agency, especially in the state of Florida, and what's that timeline, what are the resources, how do you get that done, what does it mean? This is a highly regulated industry. And I'm, I'm familiar with uh, pharmaceuticals is that, the nursing home industry is that, home health is that. However, I've learned that every state is different. So when we've been trained by our consultant and we've sat in a room with people from around the country, we've learned that the rules in different states are very different as far as what it takes, what the capital and the time it takes to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And Florida happens to be more expensive and it's a longer process. So we understood that, but that's a challenge. And I don't know that it's fair because I believe that it discourages more people from getting in and getting involved and, and doing well by people. Mm -hmm. But we knew that, so that was a challenge. It's more expensive uh, to start a home health agency? It, it's more expensive to start a home health agency, mm -hmm. especially in the state of Florida, mm -hmm. because it's a longer process and it is more costly. So it's more expensive compared to a place like maybe Pennsylvania or Maryland, where it's a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost. It seems so counterproductive exactly, considering how many yeah. seniors there are in this state. Yeah, so I, I don't get that, but we understood the rules and we just played, played by them. And that's at a state level. And because it is highly regulated, there's a federal regulation. Our goal initially, and it still is long term, our goal initially was to become a Medicare certified agency. And Medicare is controlled by the federal government. So when we started out on that process quite a few months ago, we understood what we were up against. And we were in that process. And we were making progress and we were about to achieve our goal of becoming Medicare certified. But the federal government decided, as we were in that process, to place a moratorium on four states, including Florida, where they're, for at least six months, they're not issuing or evaluating any new home health care agencies. Hmm. So we had invested a lot of time and money, and we had to change course. We couldn't pursue our goal immediately. So that was disappointing and frustrating, but out of our control. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to discharge clients that were Medicare, and we had to move in a different direction. We're now we're focused on private pay, long-term care insurance. We have a contract with the VA and a couple of other agencies and some commercial insurance, but uh, it's a completely different approach now. We had to make that shift and that's, been, that's extended this process. Mm -hmm. You said yeah. Medicare, but it was my understanding that Medicare does not pay for in-home services, that Medicaid does, but not Medicare. What it am I missing? Upon the, it depends upon the service. So for example, when my dad had knee replacement surgery, he had Medicare as his insurance. Mm -hmm. So the Medicare paid for the procedure. It paid for rehab in the hospital. Right. And then it paid for a limited period of time for home health care to help him transition from the hospital rehab back home to outpatient. Okay. So it doesn't pay indefinitely. It right. pays for a short period of time. Okay. So you're right. And then most people, if they need continuous care... So my dad, the knee replacement was relatively minor. Mm -hmm. But when my dad had a stroke uh, and he needed more care, and then he had a second stroke, then he needed a different type of care, and we had to pay for much of that out of pocket because Medicare doesn't pay for services indefinitely. They pay for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Well, how can listeners learn more about A Better Way Home Care? Sure. Uh, we do have a website. It is uh, www.abetterway.com 
H is in home, C is in care.net, a better way, hc.net. And we're always available to talk with people. Um, I'll give our phone number. I'm sure Bonnie won't mind if the phone rings. And that is 561-202-1266. We're based in West Palm Beach. We serve all of Palm Beach County, north, south, east, and west. We feel like every community deserves a high level of care, and we serve everyone well. Craig and Bonnie Glover, he's the president and CEO, and she's the VP of operations of their family-owned company, A Better Way Home Care. We'll have links on our website to the company, so be sure to check that out. Craig and Bonnie, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your incredibly inspiring story. I really wish you all the best with A Better Way Home Care. Thank you so much. We're so glad to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and you can listen to the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is also distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. And don't forget to check out our website for more amazing caregiving stories from the field. Go to agewise.com. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z or Z, as my Canadian mother says, and find out how you can be a guest on the show. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.